And in this quiet moment, I heard this question. And I think it was the catalyst or the seed that would later become a hunger to become more. And the question I asked myself was, what does it take to change the essence of a man? I knew that I knew that I knew that if I kept living in the direction I was living, that I was not going to live out a meaningful life, even though I had everything that the world said would make me happy and successful. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Steven Scoggins has a great story of rags to riches that you're about to hear. He had a humble beginning in construction. He was given a chance by a mentor and he turned it into success and money at age 21. Then he squandered it all. He betrayed the trust. He ended up homeless and almost took his life. He asked his mentor for a second chance. That's a big point you're going to hear more about. And it was given. Steven credits his mentor for saving his life with two pieces of advice, which he took and ultimately built businesses with over $100 million in revenue. This episode is not about how he built his businesses, but what he became personally that enabled him to do so. The key for me that we really lead off the show with, I lead off the show with, was this. You don't need to hit rock bottom and react to the pain like this story. We do just need an awakening moment, and Stephen talks about that. You can find him at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Scoggins, S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S, dot com. And he's got an event coming up, Transform You, October 21 through 23rd, 2000, no, how about 2021? Stay tuned now, however. And I'm going to bring you Stephen Scoggins and this story that you can use to address your awakening moment in your life. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. 
being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Well, Stephen, man, as we were chatting before this, you've got, of course, you know, an incredible uh, story that we'll get into a little bit, but I really like just, you have such a breadth of knowledge of just personal development and people. So yeah. uh, I'm hoping we can, let's dig into some root issues. You ready? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm here to serve, man. Let's have some fun. Okay. Well, you know, as the, I was thinking about, as I read your story, the classic fiction book, I always joke about this, you know, when I start writing something, it was a dark and stormy night. I mean, I wish everything started <laughs> that way. You've got the classic overcoming story. He was homeless, yeah. considering suicide. You know, he got a chance, he squandered it like the prodigal son. And then he got a second chance, built a successful business, made a zillion dollars. And now here he is. And he can, you know, lead us all to riches, wealth, and fame. Right. <laughs> but it is, but it yeah. is an awesome story. And oh, thanks, man. one thing that I've, I was gonna say struggled with, but I, I'm curious about as we, you know, the humanity of us who are all trying to better ourselves. Do you sometimes feel like it would be better if everyone got the chance to start at rock bottom? You know what? I've been asked that question several times. In fact, I've got a young man on my I team. I thought I was going to be unique with that one. <laughs> I wish, <laughs> but no, I had to get, I got a young man on my team. Um, who's, who's case in point when he first started talking about how to, you know, amplifying his life and trying to better himself and stuff like that. He goes, man, I just wish I had your story. I'm like, no, you don't. You, you, you do not wish you were as hard-headed as I was and as prideful and arrogant as I was that led me down the road that finally crushed that stuff out of me. What you would rather do is actually have an awakening moment, and you can choose to have an awakening mm -hmm. moment now, right? You can choose to say, I want more from life, so what do I want? Why do I want it? What's the intent? What's the what's the what's the driving force behind it? Is that a pure intent or is it an egotistical intent? And then ultimately, what are you willing to sacrifice to get it? You know, I I do not believe that everybody has to have a rock bottom story. Um, I do believe that if you have that story as part of your DNA, there is a certain level of um, Thanksgiving, so to speak, that comes with hmm. coming out on the other side. You know, I've been I've been a huge proponent. Because everybody's searching, you know, searching for purpose. They're searching for purpose. I want to have this purpose. I want to have that purpose. You know, and I stumbled across a long time ago with the people that helped me transform my life that literally the greatest purpose in life you'll ever have is serving the person you used to be. The problem is, is most people aren't willing to step up to the plate and become more of who they could be so then they can go back and serve the person they used to be. Instead, they, they tie their purpose to their friends, their family, their jobs, their careers, their stuff. And as a result, you end up not really getting to the place and the heart of the matter of what you really could do, which is one, one of the reasons why I was excited to talk about personal development, because it's that it's personal, right? You know? So, you know, when you look at that, you know, I think that at the end of the day, you don't have to have a rock bottom story. You just have to have an authentic one. Uh, and I've, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to come back. I want to come back to that, but you just said something that as long as I have lived in this area of personal development, which is my entire life. I've never heard that, Stephen, and I want you to unpack purpose, serving the person you used to be. That's a new one for me. Explain it. Yeah, I mean, so the, the easiest way not to explain it is to better lay, let the audience know how I kind of got to where I'm at. So um, like a lot of Americans around the country and really around the world, grew up in a uh, kind of a impoverished based environment, 
very disconnected parents. They were all doing their own thing. Dad struggled with alcohol. Mom struggled with mental uh, illness for a little while. Raised by my grandmother, raised me 12, I was about 11 years old. She passed away. Um, and there's a whole lot of stuff I'm skipping over yeah, at yeah. the moment. <clears throat> but I remember this comment that my dad said to me after he came back into my life and I began working in construction. It's when I met his, his employer who later became my first mentor. Yeah. And he said that Scoggins don't get ahead, they get by. Hmm. And even when he said that, for some reason, I, I just felt that I felt that I felt that wasn't true. Right. But all the evidence in front of me would validate the very same statement that he just said. You know, okay. we, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, we, my dad worked as hard as he absolutely possibly could. That's probably where I get my insane work ethic from. But it wasn't until my transformational moments with Steve Myrick, who was my dad's my dad's uh, employer and almost like a father figure to him and myself in many cases, where I began to think differently based on some key things that he said. And one of the things he mentioned to me, my audience has heard it a thousand times, but he asked me this one question. I was in his Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was a hot summer day. We had just gotten out of the framing crew. And he, anytime he invited me to come and get in this uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee, I would gladly say yes, because either, either if it was hot, it had, I knew it had air conditioning. And if it was cold, I knew it had heat. Yeah. Right. And he would sit me down. And I didn't know this at the time, but my he actually used to work for my grandfather. So keep that in the back of your mind for just a minute. Okay. Roles got reversed. Okay. So Steve's now looking at me as a you know teenage kid. I might have been 15 or 16 years old at the time. Looks over at me and said, Stephen, I'm curious. What's the difference between a rich man and a poor man? When I was like teenager, I'm like, well, duh, of course, money. Of course, it's money. You know, I'll never forget this way he looked at me. I swear if he could slap me in the back of the head, he would have. But it was like one of those stern kind of like a Gandalf moments, right? Right. Where, where he's about to tell me where the ring is kind of thing. He said, no, it's the way they think. Now, that, in, that question in and of itself can do a lot of good. He took it to another level when he said, do you want to think like me or do you want to think like your father? Wow. And he meant absolutely no disrespect to my yeah. father, no disrespect whatsoever. I think he was trying to get to me early enough because he had seen my family struggle and struggle and struggle. And I would later discover that in over 500 years, I'm the only Scoggins to date that has broken free and actually become financially independent and then built the rest of my life on serving to date. Okay. So I knew that that was a pivotal moment for me. What I didn't fully understand until literally probably two or three years ago, when I began building out curriculums and, and writing books and trying to travel and speak and trying to develop businesses and develop teams and, you know, all the stuff that I'm, I'm trying to utilize in my own life on a regular basis to, to make sure I have a life that's lived fulfilled, right? That I'm, I'm living a fulfilling life in my own right. That I discovered that almost every single person I interact with that I could actually serve, that I could actually help, that I could help actually help advance, right? Were people who were either in similar struggles that I had been a couple of years earlier or even a decade earlier. So I discovered that I was the most fulfilled Anytime I was able to help somebody awaken the awaken, you know, kind of their stuff from within and then teach them a better way, because I've learned that, you know, inside of serving the person you used to be, there's a prerequisite of becoming more than you are today, which is there's the personal growth. But on top of that, I've also learned that the secret to, quote unquote, success, whatever that may mean. And I don't mean that being a billionaire is meaning successful. I know very successful financial people who are very brokenhearted right now, even right now. The secret to life that I've found is not only serving the person you used to be, but also that principles govern promises. 
you know, Zig's life was all about, you know, living by a certain set of principles, right. you know, and people who live by a certain set of principles, one, they don't have to make decisions that often because the principles already make the decisions for them. But two, when you live by principle alone consistently day after day, week after week, year after year, it may feel like you're not making progress, but you're consistently making progress in such a way that allows that principle to start to shape those promises over time. Yeah. You know, my financial independence that I'm able to, to, to enjoy today is not because I won the lottery. It's not because I did all these extra things. It's because I said, you know what? I'm going to spend on less than I make. I'm only going to buy things that have a return on investment or some kind of investment for me. And I'm not going to go out and blow a bunch of money on stuff that I don't need to impress people that I don't really care for or don't really care for me. Right. I'm going to try to build a stable foundational future. And I've learned that if people will spend, gosh, 12 to 24 months, just focused, like just hardcore focused on living by principles in any given area of our life, then inevitably what happens is they have the foundation to then construct their catapult. Right. So every journey has to be built on the on the authenticness of the person who is actually living out that journey. But instead, we spend far too much time trying to be people or trying to be like people based on their expectations of us. Yeah. Rather than the expectations of ourselves. And I think by understanding that serving the person used to be is also a prerequisite to becoming something more. Now, the focus is not on what do I what am I lacking or what am I missing? Now it's focused on becoming. And I've also discovered that becoming gives you a certain level of self-confidence consistently step by step, day after day. And as a result, I really think that that's the hardcore or the heart of transformation and breakthrough on a regular basis. Stephen, you said right at the outset there, the quote of your dad said, Stephen, what do you say? That Scoggins don't get Scoggins ahead. Scoggins don't get, get ahead. They get by. They yeah. Get by. Okay. And you said you looked out and there was evidence that he was correct mm -hmm. there, right there. You've hit another primary area of interest slash concern that I have in personal development, because you also just, you, you just a, a moment ago, then talked about the expectation of others versus the expectation of self. Now, especially when you're younger, but of course we have people, you know, who are, who are still in this place living primarily out of an expectation of others. And the curious thing, I don't know if this is a question, it's a, it's a quandary, is why did you, and how can other people grasp onto that, why did you at that point even have the wherewithal to question that mm -hmm. expectation that your father put out there and as you looked around and said, yeah, because most people, well, didn't you, didn't you even mention siblings? Did you mention siblings a minute ago? Yeah, I've got other sisters for sure. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, we often see them and they did accept that expectation mm -hmm. possibly and lived under that. You didn't. I mean, there's a Holy grail question right there. If we can bottle that up, what makes one yeah. person see what a possibility to reject, yeah. uh, 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 what's showcased as let's go back to evidence because so many people, when they say, you know, we're, we're cheering on, Hey, you can be better. You can do more. And yet mm -hmm. they go, yeah, but I have evidence that I can't, or I don't, or I won't, or I didn't. Yeah. I think so. I'm gonna do my best to unpack this. This is a definitely a big one. Oh, it, it's huge. It is. Yeah. So I get, I've been asked that before by a couple people as well is I don't understand. I'm disappointed again. I'm, I'm going to yeah. come up with something unique. Here. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to two things. First of all, can you set your sight, set your sight on an aspirational mentor? 
can you can instead of looking at the people in which you've been surrounded by or the soil that you've been planted in, right? Because if you're in toxic soil, you're not going to have a great fruit, right? Is there an aspirational mentor somewhere in your pipeline, somewhere in your peripheral, somewhere in the YouTube space or podcast space or any number of places that you aspire to be? The second step of that process is now give yourself permission to aspire to be in that position. Aspire, right? There's a certain level of hopelessness that comes in from accepting the status quo, but yet there's a certain level of hope that comes from setting the expectation on building something that might become a new status quo, so to speak, Okay. right? So for me, I would dare say that the reason that I transformed my life is because I literally had that story. What's it? Uh, I think Kiyosaki has that rich dad, poor dad finale. You know, I literally had the living illustration of that in front of me, right? Here's, here's what I witnessed. I witnessed my father getting up at 5 a.m. most every day, right? Getting in the car, driving to the construction site, probably 30 to 45 minutes across town, Listening to the radio, you know, it's country stage, local country station, and getting to the job site, pulling out the tools, pulling out the ladders, pulling out the stuff, all of it heavy, none of it light, getting going through the day, letting the sun come up, letting it be hot or cold, rainy or dry or whatever the case may be, go through a very, very long day, 435, 6, 7 o'clock, only just to just before dusk, begin to put that equipment back into the truck get back into the car and drive another 35 or 40 minutes down the street, right? Back to the house to get back home, to have the family have already eaten dinner. You're eating dinner last because you get there last, right? Sometimes the dinner's cold to watch him take off his military combat boots. It's just the shoes that he used to wear when he was working, right? Get into his chair, right? Put on a robe and then basically pass out in his chair. Around midnight or one o'clock, he would get up out of the chair he would stumble into the bed. He would fall asleep, and the cycle would repeat itself over and over again. Yeah. Conversely, I would see Steve Myrick, who seemed to come into work when he wanted to, have meetings that he wanted to, have freedoms that he wanted to, everything from vacations to um, probably one of the most important things that I ever saw him do that just made this touch my heart more than anything else, is I would watch Steve Myrick go into the local lunch places that we would all kind of go together, All the because lo- all the lunch places were kind of close by the job site. Yeah. He would be sitting there with his wife, Lona. They'd be sitting there to we'll call it a local barbecue restaurant. They had a couple of them that we used to frequent because obviously North Carolina's got, you know, as big on the barbecue, right? Right. We would sit down at the table. We would barely kind of have a meal. He would order a nice meal. He would then get ready to get up and go. He would find out his waitress that was waiting on him would be, was a single waitress. Didn't have, you know, the, the child that she was, uh, you know, that she had didn't have a father and all this kind of thing. He would, he would spend time investing and in getting to know people. He would then pull out $1,000 in cash out of his wallet, put it up under the hush pipey bin, put it down on the table, and walk out the door. Never say a word. He would then basically watch, or I would watch, he wouldn't watch, I would watch as the, this waitress would come over and be completely wrecked. Completely wrecked. I'm talking knees on the floor, balling all over the place, yelling about how she can pay her light bill now, how she can buy formula now, all this kind of stuff. And I just knew that I wanted to make that level of impact. And I knew that 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 I could not make that level of impact if I followed the trajectory in which my father was doing. Yeah. 
And so I think it comes down to which mentor are you monitoring? Are you monitoring someone who is heading down a totally different path than ultimately what you want? And I think as, as an American culture, sometimes we, we feel guilty because we want more, mm-hmm. right? We, we, some, we, we, we feel shame, like it's not okay. Like I will tell you some of the things that I, here are a couple of different things that I had to overcome as part of this journey. I had to overcome my own father trying to talk me out of going into business for myself, right? Because his, his first business failed. Now he loved me, right? There was nothing about him that, he, that didn't love me, but he was letting his results dictate mine. Sure. Out of, in his mind, out of love, Okay. I had to deal with um, walking away from friends and family member who would give me a bunch of grief about, you know, you, you Scoggins, man, we don't, we don't do that stuff around here, man. You make, man, you can go out there and try, you're going to fail. You're going to like all these different, like quote unquote, self-fulfilling prophecies, right. That, that their life had experienced. It's, it's the whole poverty mindset, right? You, you did a great I, Southern rendition of it too there. I mean, <laughs> stellar. Yeah. I, I grew up in the South too. So kudos. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, no, but I mean, but when you look at it, I think it comes down to which mentor are you following? Yeah. I mean, and I mean, at the end of the day, I think that was, uh, that's why the personal development industry has the, the ability to unlock people if they get around the right mentor. If they get around. Well, so, so I'll tell you, Stephen. So every week, we, almost every week, I post a question to the audience that we use as a mm-hmm. Q&A and Tom Ziegler and I talk about it. And this was probably within the past 60 days, I posted a question for one of the shows and, you know, boom, boom, boom 70 some uh, responses. And I think within the same 24 hours, I posted one asking, in essence, who do you have in your life that does encourage and lift you up? And it was crickets. I think I got two responses. Yeah. Which, you know, I've learned over time tells me that people didn't have a response to give. They don't have that person. You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and next, I asked Stephen about his big break, which was asking his mentor for the second chance after he'd squandered the first. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. 
I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. You know, and it kind of brings up another, another issue because you talk about, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't know if you said it this way, but you got a, you got a big break in essence that you got a second chance with your mentor. So he gave mm -hmm. you a chance, you squandered that and yep. you went back and asked, right? Yep. For, for a second chance. So you got a big break. So I'm going to come back to that because there are so many of the quote success, success stories where somebody did get a, you know, Mr. Miyagi stepped in, or you talk about Gandalf, you know, stepped yeah. in and gave him a big break. And I think we can look at that. Somebody else can look at that and go, well, yeah, lucky for you, man. And yet I did want to pull out, not to give you kudos necessarily, but just to point out, you did go back and ask, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't out of the blue. He didn't just force himself upon you just as I don't, not even close. I don't think God, you know, is going to come force himself upon us. He's waiting yeah. for us to come and ask and to knock. So I wanted sure. to come back to you that you, if you look at that and you do with gratitude, cite your, you know, it was a great break and opportunity, but I want to pull out. I want people to hear you also probably with some significant humility maybe some shame. You, you tell me you did yeah. go back and knock and ask. Yeah. So in a snapshot, I'll tell you that the, the weeks, the weeks leading into the first time that Steve put me into business for myself was which he bought me all the trucks, all the equipment, everything that came with it. Right. Um, he saw, he saw this is now, this is something that's key. I, if, hopefully everybody will write this down. It's important to find and surround yourself with people who believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. Hmm. The reason is, is because that's the person who's going to fight for you when you're trying to fight, fight for yourself, fight for your identity, fight for your purpose, fight for your significance, your meaning. Steve put me in the business for myself, but what happens when all of a sudden you become very successful financially? You're basically still a teenager. I'm 19, 20 years old. And all of a sudden you've never been trained to handle money. All you've ever watched is people flaunt it. You know, you kind of see that now in the environment with all the gurus and, you know, Lambos and all this kind of stuff. And it's just it's complete fabricated garbage, in my opinion. You go out and try to illustrate that because you're, you're searching for a sense of significance, right? I'm searching. I want to prove everybody wrong. I had to drop out of high school to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. Well, all of them told me I was going to be a failure and I was never going to amount to much. And, da, 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 and I was, you know, again, Scoggins don't get ahead. They get by. Mm -hmm. So what I do the first time I make all the money. I buy a bunch of stuff. I become incredibly arrogant, a a incredibly egotistical, not grateful. And then met a brown haired blue, uh, brown haired, brown eyed girl at a barbecue restaurant that proceeded to be the catalyst to a level of humbling that I'm incredibly grateful for now, but it was incredibly difficult to live at the time. Okay. 
it eventually led me to walking off the job site and walking away from Steve entirely, which a year after that had led me to basically being homeless. So when that second chance came back up, Steve didn't come to me at all. In fact, my father, I had just, I had just escaped, uh, escaped the Highway 440 uh, Capitol Boulevard Bridge where I almost took my life. Like we're talking days. I had just started couch surfing in my father's place when my father convinced Steve to let me back on the framing crew. Okay. <clears throat> so to case in point, I start, I've got a nail apron. And, and for those who aren't very overly familiar with construction, yeah. a nail apron says Lowe's across the front or Home Depot or something. It's two pouches, right? It's, it's, a, it's like a, I don't even know, like a uh, paper bag with pockets kind of thing. And uh, that, was my, that was my start. I, I start working. And I would, like I was like when I was a kid, Steve would get in his, his Jeep Grand Cherokee. That was his car of choice. And he would drive around the community pretty much all day long. And for the first, almost for the first entire week, I went and hid from him over and over and over again. I, did, I was, I was incredibly full of shame. I was incredibly guilty. I knew that I knew that I knew that I totally screwed up and, and had, got, had been given an amazing chance. But here's what happened. My father sends me next door to actually go through a, a, a reframing of a garage door, which is just, I was straightening some stuff essentially on a garage door frame. And I got to overhear the same guys, essentially, that were took over for me. And they were bad-mouthing Steve. Hmm. Well, that bad-mouthing angered me and frustrated me and made me angrier and angrier and angrier. And as I walked across back from one house to the next house, I began to actually almost sense in my spirit, it's like, well, didn't you kind of do the same thing? Didn't you take this gift and squander it? Didn't you take, didn't you not quote-unquote take his name in vain, but didn't you talk bad about Steve and always done nothing but ever believe in you and take care of you and help you and mentor you? And I mean... I'm a teenager when a lot of the mentorship happened. I, I mean, into my in one ear and out the other. Thank God it got stopped in one ear and just kind of sank down at the bottom of my neck for a while. Right? He comes back out. It's Friday afternoon. It's time to knock off. My dad goes, gets the paychecks. And I was so mad and so frustrated that they would take advantage of him after obviously dealing with that internally myself. Now, when Steve came back across, I actually walked towards the Jeep as my father was walking back towards with the paychecks and I actually knocked on his window. Now I'm a big believer that there are certain roadblocks that you have to overcome to achieve any level of success, no matter what that looks like. Maybe it's being a great dad. Maybe it's being a great business owner. Maybe it's being a great pastor or business, you know, anything like that. And one of the primary roadblocks I think keeps people in check is the sense of pride and it's counterbalance of shame. Okay. So to break it down a little further, to me, pride is thinking more of yourself than your results have to show for it. Hmm. Okay. So my results prior to that was I was braggadocious, egotistical, and arrogant. The man that I come back to with the job site had literally nothing left to, to grab a hold of. It's, it's, it is that prodigal son testimony or that prodigal son story. When I knocked on Steve's window, I knew that I knew that I knew that I just wanted my mentor back. Hmm. It wasn't even about starting a business at the, in that moment in time. It was like, I just want to say I'm sorry. And one of the number one roadblocks that I have that I see people is the sense of pride as it relates to not being willing to accept the responsibility for the choices that you've made and have a sincere apology component to it where you're contrite, you're 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 tied up to it in such a way that you actually feel 
like you did wrong. I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, man. Hey, man, I'm sorry. It's, it's all good. You know, I'll never do it again. No, I'm talking about there is absolutely no reason why you should trust me. There's absolutely no reason why you should ever take a second chance on me or chance on me other than the fact is I'm not going to let it happen again. I'm not going to let it happen again. And in that moment, Steve's second chance, it took me a little bit to convince him. He asked me how my head was and like, cause he knew I had obviously come through some stuff. And, you know, I asked him if I could take over and he's like, with what you got no money, no tools, no people. And I'm not, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to invest in that again. And here's where I think the second chance opportunity can be picked up and be utilized in most any circumstance. I said, I don't, I don't need you to do that. I just, I just need a chance to prove myself. Not, and not even prove myself to him in many respects, prove myself to myself. And I knew that I knew that I knew that if I got a second chance at life, that I would, I would do whatever it took to fight through and do whatever it took to kind of build a life that I would one day love, if that makes any sense. It, it does. And, you know, I, I found myself, you, when we first started talking about 25 minutes ago, um, and I, I led off with your story and kind of being at the bottom mm-hmm. and that question of, is, is that a benefit necessarily? Because there are so many people, they're not at the bottom and they got a lot to, they got a lot to risk right now to change anything. They've got, they're just surviving. You know that they're paying the mortgage, Mm -hmm. keeping the lights on, trying to take care of the family, uh, whatnot. There's a lot to risk. Would they be better off to start from ground zero? I think a lot of people would look at that and go, yeah, I almost wish I could be there to, to, to come up, but you talked about, that's not the point. The point is an awakening moment. And it came back to mind, Stephen, because in you, us talking about shame, huge word, I think for everybody, especially guys, uh, would you say that that, well, because you talked about pride, that your chance for an awakening moment, you don't need to go lose it all, end up in the gutter, homeless committing suicide, but you do need to check your pride, enter into some humility and allow yourself to have that awakening moment. Is that fair? Absolutely. In fact, I would say it, I would kind of piggyback on it. And I would say that your sense of expectations or what, of what's possible has to exceed the power of your excuses. It's got to exceed the power of your excuses. Say it again. So the expect your expectations have to exceed the power of your excuses. Here's what I mean by that. It would have been very easy for me to follow my dad's track record. It would have been very easy to me to let Steve pass by a hundred more times, not go talk to him or go talk to him and, and not follow through with my commitment. Right. Okay. I felt like I could have a better life if I was willing to remove every excuse in front of me to get it. So I'm a big believer in you don't start when things are perfect. You start with where you're at. Period. You know, for me, it was, you know, for a little while, it was homelessness. From, from there, it was couch surfing. From couch surfing back into a rented mobile home. From a rented mobile home, later on a few years, a few years down the road, after I had a chance to get myself out of debt and go through the, the financial hardship of just rebuilding. I mean, I went back and paid off $70,000 in debt. $70,000 in debt for no other reason than the fact that I promised to pay it to begin with. I, prom- I, I borrowed the money. I signed off on it. 
Did I give my credit card to someone else and let them go on a shopping spree? Yeah, but I'm the one that made that decision, right? When it comes down to actually transforming any area of your life, whether it's your career, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationship as a father and stuff like that, you have to eliminate every, every single excuse. All an, ex, an excuse is nothing more than, quote, a reason why you're not going to take a step. Why you're not going to take a step further. By sheer definition, there are 365 days in a year. If you take one step a day, you have moved 365 paces further down the road than you are today. But one of the things that I see with people who are struggling more and more and more is there, I don't have the resources, I don't have the relationships, and it's a list of I don't haves, rather than literally closing that notebook and opening up a new notebook and saying, what do I do have? You know, one of the things that I looked at the story is that second chance. I got, he gave me a second chance. I did not deserve. That's called grace. But in order to, in order to actually get grace, you have to go into surrender, right? I had to lean into his direction and say, which was my choice to lean in his direction and say, I messed up big time. No reason you should ever trust me. No reasons you should ever help me again. I realized that my bad. It won't happen again. That gave him the opportunity to extend grace. And most of us won't go back to the person that we've wronged because of shame and guilt and what will they think of me and all this kind of garbage. Which is, just a, which is just a stinking excuse. As you move from one to the other, that opportunity begins to open up. It's, it's the open hand philosophy, right? You, you can't receive if, you're, you can't receive if, you, if your hand's closed, yeah. right? In this particular area, then it was up to me to be, for lack of a better word, and I wish it was a better word because I'm tired of hearing the word myself, is being resourceful, yeah. right? Re- being resourceful is nothing more than doing with what you got. We began to build the scaffolding and the ladders and everything I needed over the weekend out of the trash piles locally. So many times somebody wants to start a business. Well, I got to go borrow $100,000 from the bank. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just got to go out and serve somebody, right? Oh, I need, I need to have uh, uh, a lot of different people to connect and, and push me forward. No, you don't. You need to come alongside of somebody and serve somebody. And as you serve well, open doors will open for you. And, I, and I've discovered that at the, at the center of breaking free and becoming more is this surrender moment. I'm surrendering to the process. I'm removing my excuses. I'm removing my distractions. I'm going to become laser focused where nothing's going to stand in my way. And if, if something pops in my way, I'm going to go around it, through it, over it. And then it just becomes a simple process of not quitting because it's going to be hard. Let let me ask on that, Stephen. I'm going to ask you this because I did enough homework on you that I think you'll do it justice because I come from the camp and I'm grateful overall of no excuses Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm grateful overall. And yet I do see if we look at this sea of people, I'm going to call you, you mentioned the word aspiring. That's who's listening to this show. If they weren't aspiring, they wouldn't be listening. So we can, we can assume that everybody here fits into that. They want to do better. They've ha- they have done better. They've had successes in some areas. And yet I also, you know that in personal development, you can have a lot of people ranting and raving, you know, no excuses, just, you know, never quit, whatever. Uh, I want you to hold that with, with the grace also that, you know, so many people out there are struggling with taking that next step because the risks are high and, and they, they are 
managing so much. They're doing so much good. And yet they're stuck and they're frustrated with themselves. I think we're back to shame a lot of time. And so I, I, so I have full appreciation for no excuses and for what that can do for you, the personal responsibility. And I appreciate what you said of starting, don't wait for things to be perfect. Start with what you have. And also saying, man, I understand the Mm -hmm. pressures and the, and the fear and the concern because we do have the ability to screw things up, make it hard for our families. So hold those two for me for a second. And, uh, it speak to the no excuses, help people who are struggling there. Cause I don't want them to discount what you're saying by God. Oh, that's another, you know, no excuses. I've heard that before. Right. But there's a way to have that with, you said it grace. Yeah. Well, you, it's funny. Um, we as human beings, for some reason, we'll give grace to everybody else, but ourselves. <laughs> Amen. We, I mean, seriously, we will, yeah. we'll, we'll forgive our a wayward child or a, a, you'll forgive your spouse for something, some boneheaded decision or yeah. some serious yeah. decision. Um, you'll, you'll forgive people in, in the political realm and in the media realm. Like we, but yet when it comes down to it, we like to remind ourselves of all the things that we screwed up. Yeah. Okay. Which is why I said at the early onset that the, that the catalyst to no excuses is actually surrender. Hmm. It's not fighting necessarily fighting harder. Right. It's 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 a moment of understanding that you are a work in progress and seeing your life as an ex, like a, a creative, curious experiment, uh, experience or experiment, so to speak, like rather than beating myself up because of my ADHD or because I dropped out of high school or because I almost took my life or because of the homelessness, rather than tying that to my identity, I made it part of my story like it's it's part of me. And the main difference in there is actually looking at those things from a perspective of what can I learn? Like most people don't take a negative result and then try to go backwards and figure out where all the common denominators are. We internally, we call those cornerstone moments. These moments where you make a decision, right, wrong, or indifferent, either it either propels your life forward or it propels your life downward. One of the two, right? For some, it's a birth of a child, a death of a loved one, uh, graduating high school, graduating college, a number of, any number of specific things. But the type of meaning that we assign to those life events directly correlates to how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves and the amount of grace in which we show ourselves. Yeah. Right. What I've tried to do differently and what I encourage anyone who's listening to do is rather than beat yourself up for stuff that you've done wrong or maybe things that you're in the process of overcoming, rather than beat yourself up every time you fall down, why not just decide that you're gonna get back up? You know, I think one of the, the Rocky series is so so profound and why, and everybody loves it because Rocky always gets back up. Mm-hmm. He always gets back up and it doesn't matter if he's lost Adrian or Ivan Drago's beat the mess out of him or Apollo's knocked the snot out of him or gosh, what was the last one that he did with Balboa? Like with Balboa, he's battling cancer. like. He always gets back up. And there's a lot to be said by getting back up, but it's more difficult to get back up if you're, if you're always holding yourself down. Yeah. Right. You have to decide like, and this is an emotional struggle. It is. It's a, it, it's an emotional mental struggle. In almost every case you can tie every unwillingness or the lack of desire to get back up back to several key moments in your life in almost every case. In fact, I have, I have yet to find one that you can't, hmm. right? There's some uh, life lie or some experience that you've had that says you shouldn't try again. 
And I'm trying to tell, help people understand from a, even from a biblical perspective, that is a lie. It is an absolute fabricated piece of junk lie. It, it is not something that we should be guiding our lives by. I think, what was it? Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That guy started building Kentucky Fried Chicken when it's 60s or 70s, right? Like, it's literally never too late. Yeah. It's never too late to redefine. you got to see yourself as more of the... Um, uh, more of the creator rather than the applicator, right? What do I want? Why do I, why do I want it? What am I willing to sacrifice to get it? Because that, in that sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice. Sometimes I'll sacrifice um, playing video games or going out to a movie or whatever. And like I said, it, it comes down to dedicated focus. And when you fall down, you have to give yourself peace. You've got to give yourself grace and mercy. I do not believe that God, for example, I'm a person of faith. I do not believe that God is up in the heavens and he's constantly judging us, pointing his finger at every time we, every single time that we mess up. Mm. Instead, I feel, I think he sees us as wounded children. In fact, I had this friend of mine, his name's Chris Lacroto, and uh, we were having this conversation. He was having me, he was mentoring me in the moment. He was trying to get me to let my, the anger with my mother go. Mm. Right. And I know that, and, and as strange as that sounds, that anger was holding me back from a variety of different things, okay? Because I judged my mother's events or her actions based on knowledge that I didn't fully understand, which we do, we all do a lot of, right. right? As we began to talk, he said, I'm curious. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I said, okay. So I closed my eyes because, you know, obviously God trusts. So I closed my eyes. He goes, I want you to picture your mother as an eight-year-old little girl wearing a beautiful white dress and little white tennis shoes with the buckles on them. Weird. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. So I did. I pictured it in my mind. He goes, now I want you to picture she's, she's running. She's happy. She's, she's having a blast. And then she falls down. And she totally slides across her knees. And her knees are all bloody and stuff like that. He goes, are you going to give her a spanking or are you going to pick her up and hold her? I said, well, I guess I would pick her up and hold her. He goes, do you have any idea what kind of wounds your mother's carrying around? I never thought about that before. Sometimes we have to see people with clean lenses. And I believe God looks at us just like that. Right? He knows that as children, we're going to screw up and we're going to mess up. We're going to slide and scrape our knees. And scraping your knees could be uh, an analogy for going bankrupt. It could be an analogy for having to go through a divorce. It could be an analogy for not being a great parent for a while. Right? He sees that in you, but he does not judge you based on the skint knees. He judges you based on the person you become and the service that you offer. I'm a big believer, and obviously we've talked about service quite a bit today. I'm a big believer that if you simply will just set your heart on service, grace will find you, mercy will prepare, propel you, and you will stop holding yourself back because you're no longer pinned to the ground. There's, there's not a chain or a, a, a rope holding your feet to the fire so to speak, or your feet to the ground. Until you free yourself from your own expectations, like of past mistakes, judging yourself, you're never going to be able to take ownership of who you can become. That's a long-winded answer, but I couldn't help myself and tell a story. No, 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 no. It was, it was great. And you, you know, in looking at, as much as we're talking about personal development, that is our focus here. There's something that you said, I read on you, very Ziggler-esque, you know, Zig's, <laughs> Zig's be, do, have philosophy, be the right person so you can do the right thing so you can have 
the things in life that really matter. You said in regards just to business, I think this is just in some of your business, uh, you know, marketing material that an entrepreneur can't build a business without first building themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's easy to hear that. So everybody can hear that and nod their heads to it. Yet I want to point out that we are in a culture that just is not giving credit to that. You know that. I mean, what sells out there primarily, if we're talking, you know, books, podcasts, courses, whatever, and it's the seven steps to build an online course, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And we skip that. And yet I've had the, I'm going to call it a privilege as you have to walk with a lot of people, including myself and see that the majority of the problems that we have in business, those excuses, those things that keep us from going forward, from starting a business, from growing a business, from sustaining, maintaining a business are personal. I mean, it all yeah. comes back. And so for you to lay that out there, because it, it just showcases yeah. how we're putting the cart before the horse. We're going after the business with that. And again, you, you also said, and I appreciate that we can't start with us being a perfect person. I cannot become the perfect businessman before I go out and start a business or have a successful business. However, if I'm not addressing me, that is the crux. It's not a, it's not the most popular place to start. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, so you, you kind of alluded to this. Everybody is like celebrating success. Ironically, that speaks the, that speaks the least to me. I like to celebrate the sacrifice. I like to celebrate people who are working, who are reading, who are developing, because, you know, early in my business career, when you start a company from literally the trash piles, right? No one taught me to be a business owner. No one taught me what it was like to deal with culture issues. No one taught me what it was like to not be a defensive knucklehead. And I learned the hard way that my my greatest problem in business was not building myself as a result. Now, what I on the flip side of that, once I began to build myself, I began to see other people in a different light. Once I began to understand myself, you know, I'm a big believer that self-awareness is just as much about learning about others as it is about learning yourself, right? Because at the end of the day, people are going to gravitate for you, gravitate towards you, or be moved away from you. So, if you're a uh, you're trying to be a better father or business owner or speaker or an author or whatever that is. In what way are you communicating to the world your values and what way are you communicating to the, the, the value that you bring? Um, is, your, is your heart for greed and for I got to celebrate success because that's what I see everybody doing? Or is it, no, I'm, trying to, I'm actually trying to make a legitimate impact, yeah. like a legitimate impact. You know, Zig's been uh, passed away a number of years ago, and we still talk about Zig to this day, Right. That's what I call doing exactly what Steve Meyer did for me, which is creating a legacy that outlives you, right? So you can't do that unless you are constantly, constantly, constantly trying to better yourself. I would say it this way. You know, when I first started my constru- the construction business that became the flagship of the other ones, right? I started with my hands, right? Nailing stuff, carrying stuff, cutting stuff, moving stuff. But over time... I learned how to use my head, right? I learned how to review a PL sheet, a balance sheet, um, create purchase orders, right? Things that would not come normally without modeling successful behavior along the way, okay? And I think the natural course of action, it goes hand, head, heart. Because now everything that I'm doing now is all about how can I use my heart? How can I use the the grace within me, the mercy that I've experienced myself, the, 
the unrelenting ability to not give up. Because one of the things I've learned is if you don't give up, things will eventually get better. You cannot judge your expectations and your results in the moment. You have to look at it for what it is. Life is a process. Yeah. So you have to give yourself grace when you're not when you're not meeting your expectations or when you when you could have done better and you know you could have done better. But you also should not use that as, a, as an anchor to keep you from trying to do better. Yeah. Right. And I think at the end of the day, that's that's what that's what it comes down to. Hand, head, heart. And I think it's a natural progression, a natural process. I've seen a lot of people. and I'm one of these people that got got a lot of money, blew a lot of money, figured out that money is not where it's at. Impact is where it's at. And then now as a result of trying to serve well, there's a lot of different things that I get that I'm able to enjoy now that not everyone can. That, I, want to, I want to ask just on that. That's, where I, that's exactly where I was going when you talk hand, head, heart. Because you went from your hands into your head, started a business, had success there. When did the heart come in? Because you know it doesn't for everybody. And there's plenty of people out there with the business success everybody would like to have that does not have the heart. And I think we see the consequences of that. Was there any specific catalyst for that with you? Or was that just a part of the progression, the maturation, if you would, yeah. uh, along the way? Because we can see people out there who have had business success, but not elsewhere. I think it was a realization that kind of happened. Maybe I was probably in business 10 or, 10 or 11 years. I, I, you know, I already kind of hit the 10-year mark. And I went to a situ- I went to a somewhere and I began sharing one of the two of the stories that I had in my life. And I would, I would watch so those stories would, it would draw people in, right? It was like homeless. I'm, tell me about that. Or, uh, you know, different su- the suicide, like all that stuff, like taking that for and, and pushing it forward and not being ashamed of that, not being ashamed. That that's part of my story. Like not feeling like I needed to hide that. And early in my career, I mean, I absolutely felt like I needed to hide that. Right. I didn't want my team members at the time. And I had people on my executive teams that had MBAs and all kinds of stuff to find out I was a high school dropout. And I'd never been to college. Right. So as a result, when they would when they would try to tell me something, I would become defensive and angry and insecure. Right. I discovered along the way. And I was at a a local gym, local gym chain, and I was living in Nightdale, North Carolina at the time. And for some reason, there was a little quiet question in my heart. I knew that I knew that I knew that I had a growing, thriving business, which is all great, fine and dandy. We had a great reputation, which is all great, fine and dandy. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I wasn't satisfied. I knew that I knew that I knew that I wasn't happy. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was at least feeling like a fraud, right? Feeling like even all the hard work, discounting all the hard work, discounting all the building stuff out of trash piles, discounting putting in the extra miles, going to the work as a construction guy, changing clothes, and then going off to sell a a builder on, you know, my services and then coming back and changing back. And I discounted all that stuff. And in this quiet moment, I heard this question. And I think it was the catalyst or the seed that would later become a hunger to become more. And the question I asked myself was, what does it take to change the essence of a man? I knew that I knew that I knew that if I kept living in the direction I was living, that I was not going to live out a meaningful life, even though I had everything that the world said would make me happy and successful. And then I began to look back at my other mentors. Again, going back to that aspirational identity, that aspirational mentor. What did I most admire about Steve? What did I most admire about Ramsey? 
What did I most admire about Maxwell? What did I most admire about Zig? What did I most admire about any number of people? Um, you know, I had a conversation with Les Brown recently, and I was able to share with him, like, his, his speech, It's Possible. I heard it the week after at a friend's Amway conference. Like, the week after, I had just gotten off of, like, literally just escaped the bridge, right? And to watch his eyes just water up because I was sharing a moment with Les mm. to say, you, you, you impacted my life. As I began to see that more and more and more and more, I noticed there was a commonality between all the people we just mentioned. All of them were trying to build a legacy that outlived them. All of them were focused on serving. All of them had transitioned or uh, transcended, so to speak, this me first mentality. And all of them were living a fruitful life. All of them had families that respected them. All of them had uh, a process or a theology around business that was built off shared ideas and shared creativity and commonality. And one of the biggest pain points I see with being a business owner, and this is something I had to fight through, is feeling like I had to have all the answers. One of my greatest epiphanies was realizing that the greatest answers are typically in the team that surround you. And the only way you get there is to stop living life by insecurities. So again, it comes back to that aspirational identity. Who do I want to be? Why do I want to be it? Right? Who can show me the way? Who do I admire? Who's exhibited the character, the integrity, and the, and the quality traits of someone who, who is the same in the day as they are in the night? You know, one of the heartbreaking things that I've witnessed in, in this industry as I've traveled and, and, and began to work on this my stuff myself is occasionally I'll come across a thought leader who has a, a, a brand this direction, but behind closed doors is living a brand in this direction. Yeah. And when I see that stuff, it, it's one of the telltale signs. I know I don't want to, I know I don't want to live a dual life. I want to be, I, I get accused all the time of wearing my heart on my sleeve all the time. And you know what? To me, it's a badge of honor. I would rather be who I am than try to be something I'm not. And the only way I know to get there is to find aspirational mentors along the way. Let them believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. Know that there's possibilities if you'll just put in the work, right? And then, you know, have some grace along the way. Steven, you, uh, so your team sent me, as most people I have on the show, you know, the agency or whatever, send me these, these points, like talking points. Here's some good questions to answer, which I, probably out of my own pride, uh, I habitually ignore. <laughs> me too. <laughs> there's two though. There's two that because of what a couple of things you stated, I, I do want to bring, I do, I'm going to bring them, bring them up. And you've mentioned aspirational mentor probably five, six times in this. And one of the listed bullet points that I know you talk about that was given to me is guide versus guru mm -hmm. who you need on your side. And I think it probably uh, hit me because I've always appreciated a little bit. Tony Robbins, he was it. A, I don't even, I don't follow him, but he had a book mm -hmm. or, or some kind of a message called, I am not your guru. And I yeah. appreciated the concept, but uh, there's two bullet points I do want to bring up. And one of them was that guide versus guru. Cause you've mentioned aspirational mentors explain that. Yeah. So the easiest way to explain a guide versus a guru is, are they selfless or selfish? Hmm. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. Um, especially since the invention of social media, it's really easy to showcase the best of you, meaning stuff. Uh, there's a, I won't mention the, the, uh, the person's name, but the, you know, they, they, they show, they showcase vehicles and houses and stuff. 
only to find out they don't own any of it. But they act like they do. Yeah. Okay. They go to a, a buddy's house that's a, a large attorney over on the West Coast and walk around their house with their, with their iPhone and they're trying to give a, a, an aspirational message and all this kind of stuff, right? But when you dig into their backstory, there's nothing there. There's, there's, there's nothing there except for seeing them replicate something that someone else has said without even giving credit, right, to someone else, yeah. okay? The person that actually shared the information. A guide, on the other hand, when I think about a guide, I think about Steve. Hmm. Steve was not trying to help me for his benefit. Steve was trying to help me for my benefit. Steve was not grandstanding or showboating or, or, or showing me all his cool stuff in hopes that I would, be a, I would aspire to own the things that he owns. Instead, he would say, only invest in stuff that brings a return. Relationships, money, real estate, right? Yeah. A guide is not focused on being seen, heard, and valued. Okay? A guru is. A guru is more about watch me, see me, look at me, look how cool I am, which is totally out of insecurity. Guides, on the other hand, are I want to teach you and not based on philosophy or an ivory tower kind of message. Here, is my, here are my scars. Here are my construction scars on my hand. Here are the, here are the stitches in my hands that Susan Bat gave me, right? Here's, here's the bridge in Raleigh that I almost jumped from. Right. Here's the bridge in Raleigh that I slept under. Right. Because people in my from my perspective. People, I feel like are done with gurus. They're done with people who haven't actually done the work. They want an authentic person who is going to tell them I screwed up just like you. And guess what? I'm living proof that you can do this. Right. I don't I don't even today. With some of the things that are in my bio and things the, some of the quote unquote successes that I've had, I would rather people pay attention to the sacrifice. Yeah, I would rather them look at my knees and my hands and see how bloody they are. Right. And the reason I would do that is because I want them to understand that there is a fight involved. Right. But one of the key aspects that I've seen is. You know, if we, if we come at it from a faith perspective again, okay? So I believe in good and evil. I believe in God. I, I quasi-believe in Satan, right? Meaning I, I don't like to give him the credit that he, that he, that he often gets. But I, but I know that there's a duality, okay? And I also know that my purpose or my significance or how I see myself, if, I'm, if I stay in selfishness, I will never aspire and I will never become anything more than I already am, whatever that is, right? However, once I realize that Satan is not after me, he's after the generations hidden inside of me. Hmm. Let that sink in for a second. The choices you make today impact your family. The choices you make today impact your team. The choices you make today impact your Community, the choices you make to act today impact your possibilities. The choices you make to impact today affect everything. That's why I believe there's a there's a there's typically been a concerted effort around marriages and and, and I, growing up from a broken home. I have a special appreciation 
for not having parents around and, and, and having a, for, as an adult, being an adult and desperately wanting to have significance and value and to have my, have my father and my mother hold me. Right. And you don't really realize those things Cause you know, you're an adult. What do you know? You can't let people know that again, guides are teachers. They're teachers first and servants next. Every time gurus are doing nothing but selling stuff. Yeah. They're snake oil salesmen. And that's my, that's my opinion. Well, how do you know the difference? Well, according to the Bible, you'll judge them by their fruit. Yeah. But most people aren't taking the time to really digest and understand the person that they're following. They're, they're watching the, the, what they can see in a scroll yeah. rather than what they can see in the heart. Is that person incredibly wealthy and they tend to showboat or is that person incredibly wealthy and tend to do things that impact communities and, and stuff. You know, one of my goals in life is at some point in time to become a reverse tither, where I live on 10% and give away 90, yeah. right? That's one of my personal goals. Now, will I achieve it? God only knows, but I'm gonna go after it, might as well, right? Because, you know, there was a, 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 a Christian or an evangelist I heard not long ago, he, he um, quoted a study that said there was enough wealth in professing Christians in the world that would actually solve the vast majority of the problems in the world. Hunger, sex trafficking, you name it, all that kind of stuff. But yet, we like to, we want to pray to God and say, God, give me, give me, give me, please bless me, bless me, bless me. And he's like, dude, how much more resource do you need to make an impact, man? I mean, why don't you just go out and, and help a kid? Another study showed that, uh, people that have achieved a certain level of life mastery, take anybody, anybody in the world that uh, has achieved great success, call it the 1%, okay? The average 1%, one percenter has eight, minimum of eight mastery level tactics, mastery level talents, mastery level strategies, mastery level way of doing things, but only 70, well, let's say, but th- only 30% of them teach them to another generation. That's why we talk. That's why we we can have be a decade or, or decade or more later and still talk about Zig. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm testifying to that. Uh, we both are by sitting here right now. Steve, I think I could keep this going all day. I'm going to end with one question though, because I think I want to hear the answer. The best predictor of how far your business will go. What is it? How much you uh, allow for yourself to settle. How much you allow for yourself to settle? How much? How much are you willing to? How much are you willing to settle? At the end of the day, are you going to settle for this level or settle for another level? Or are you just going to keep? I want to see how far I can go. I want to see how far I can go. Not necessarily, not to be mo- just monetary. I want to see how far I can go. How many lives I can change? How many lives I can transform? Yeah. Now, that might not be your calling, and that's totally okay. But you do have a calling and a unique niche niche, niche, whatever you want to, whatever you want to pronounce that word, right? Right. That you too can walk into and make a huge impact to this community. I believe that every person on this planet was designed to do something special for someone else. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I always appreciate the shows that I do and the people I have on. 
I won't say that I'm always dramatically inspired, uh, but I, I appreciate so much. I, matter of fact, I don't know of a show that I talk so little and it's great because I just wanted to hear more and I keep asking questions. But um, of course, you know, in the intro, I'll, I'll tell people how to connect with you, how uh, they can possibly get some of your guidance. Uh, and I am just grateful you took the time to be with us, man, and uh, grateful for your heart that you've led with your heart after uh, starting with your hands and your head. And uh, man, I'm going uh, to be chewing on some of what you shared. Thank you for being here with us. Man, it was sincerely an honor. And uh, yeah, I just, I just want to change lives. So thank you for the opportunity to share. Absolutely. You'll notice I talked less in this episode than I usually do. I just felt it was more worthwhile to hear Stephen's stories and his insight from them. And I encourage you again, you can find Stephen at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Scoggins, S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S.com. And again, check out his Transform You event coming up October 21 through 23rd in this year of 2021. Coming up. Next, in episode 924 of The Ziggler Show, I asked the question, whose work is better today than it was pre-COVID and why? And the takeaway is why it was really a good wake-up call for all of us, even though it was hard for a lot of folks and still maybe is, but a good wake-up call because there is expected uncertainty ahead of us. So it's calling us to get more solid in our businesses, which ultimately is going to give us more peace overall and more revenue. How do you do that? Well, tune in to episode 924. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Together.